is with you wherever you are. Uh, that uh, was some of the words uh, in that snippet from the band from across the pond called uh, Be Optimistic, and uh, that was their cut called Maria. And uh, I played that this morning in honor of the great she, goddess, uh, by whatever name you call her. So, uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, this is Karen Tate. Uh, thank you for joining today on this uh, special solstice show. Uh, compliments of our guest, Jeanette Blonigan Clancy, uh, who's with us again, and uh, she's going to talk about goddess and the Bible. I'm sure you know some of the times goddess appears in the Bible, but I'll bet you don't know all the times that author and scholar uh, Jeanette Clancy will share with us that the great she makes her appearance. I will also cut through some disinformation and confusion and no doubt have some surprises or two up our sleeve for you. Uh, so I'm glad you're tuning in so you can maybe chat about what you'll hear at the holiday dinner table. So I hope you had uh, a great holiday the last uh, last few days, and uh, we're still in the season, obviously, so it's not the end of it. So uh, happy Saturnalia, Solstice, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Christmas, uh, by whatever name you call these holidays. Uh, thank you for tuning in today, and um, I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, also, uh, just so you'll know, if uh, you haven't uh, listened recently, the show is moving to 11 a.m. Um, most of the time on Wednesdays, unless something happens like, uh, you know, the holidays interfere, like this week and um, last week, or, you know, there's the occasion when uh, we get, uh, you know, weather conditions and we can't broadcast. Uh, I'm looking out my window today, and uh, we have uh, more than a foot of snow on rails and car rooftops, um, you know, by uh, standards back east, this probably is nothing, but by California standards, it feels like I'm on the North Pole. <laughs> um, also, uh, just one other thing I want to mention. Uh, before we start the show, um, I, I would love to hear from you if you've been having any problems getting connected to the show live um, or uh, staying connected when you listen live. Uh, if, if that's the case for you, um, I, I apologize. I don't know what the technical difficulty is. I uh, will discuss it with Blog Talk. Uh, but I did get an email or two um, from some folks who said that when they listen from the archives, they don't have any problem. But if they listen live or try to stay connected live, uh, you know, that's when the problems uh, set in. You know, they are listening from a phone, I think. Uh, we're not, we, we, you know, we're trying to investigate and figure out um, what the issue is. Um, so if, if you're having a problem like that, please do email me at karentate108 at yahoo.com. That's karentate108 at yahoo.com. Okay, so uh, let's get into uh, this special show today. And um, I want to introduce you to 
the incredible guest. Uh, she is a writer, speaker. She's a retired educator. She's a feminist. Yes, uh, this is Jeanette Blonigan Clancy. Uh, she was brought up in a blanketing, a Catholic climate, but rejects the father-son myth and vigorously opposes sexist God talk. Uh, she remains a Catholic, writing and speaking within the church to broaden awareness of the sacred feminine. Uh, her book, God is Not Three Guys in the Sky, Cherishing Christianity Without Its Exclusive Claims, led to her blog, GodIsNotThreeGuys.com. Uh, her most recent book uh, is titled Beyond Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confesses. Uh, and uh, it's very good. I've endorsed it, and um, uh, in, in some parts it's chilling. It will uh, raise the hair on back your neck, and um, it's it's definitely something you probably want for your bookshelf. Uh, we also uh, recently did a show. Um, I think it was on November 29th. You can go back in the archives and catch it. Uh, just how pagan Christians actually are, uh, which was a fun show because, um, you know, as a former Christian myself, a former Catholic, um, so many of them really just don't know. And, um, you know, uh, for the sake of uh, common ground, it would be great uh, for them to uh, raise awareness and find out just what they have in common with those of us folks who um, look at the sacred feminine uh, as deity. So I just want to say welcome, Jeanette, uh, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. <laughs> as you were talking about upbringing i i was recalling something that happened to me a few years ago uh, a catholic priest from ireland spoke locally here in st cloud minnesota is my local area and it's very very catholic he was in favor of women's ordination and he loved the fact that francis had been um elected and you know that was when Francis was a new pope, and, and he said that the people in the Vatican, the Curia, put up with it, in fact, because there was so much corruption, not only in the treatment of women and the homosexuality and so on, and, and the things that are creating headlines, but also there was um, scandal in the, the bank. The Vatican Bank was corrupt. Anyway, so I because he was in favor of women's ordination in my next blog post I wrote something about the goddess I don't remember what it was and he wrote in condemning it he was horrified that there was even mention of the goddess in relation to the Catholic Church and that horrified me of course so you know it's still there when I was being caught way back in the 1950s, I'm coming on in age, I um, I remember the goddess being called an abomination, and the, the sisters in the parochial school made it quite clear that the goddess was far, well, was not only not God, you know, not the divinity, not spirit, not, not the greatest value known, but was positively bad. <laughs> so uh, it's just that interesting take on people having an entirely different consciousness about a subject. So I'd like to talk about the goddess in the Bible. 
and uh, why how we were conditioned. <laughs> Go on. Well, Karen. you know, and thank, thank you, thank you for that story. Um, I mean, but it just goes to show uh, how things have changed. I mean, uh, I interviewed uh, Patrick McCollum um, a few years ago. He um, He's an he's an ordained uh, minister and uh, a, a pagan minister, however, but uh, you know he's risen through the ranks out there in the mainstream world, and he's actually the chaplain for the prison system, uh, or he was then. I don't know if he currently is at the moment. Uh, and he said 40 years ago, uh, his house was threatened uh, that someone was going to firebomb it because he dared speak publicly about the goddess. Um, Lady Olivia Robertson, one of the founders of the Fellowship of Isis in Ireland, uh, she spoke at the Council for the Parliament of World Religions uh, a couple decades ago, and uh, she was threatened there at the Parliament of World Religions. But, you know, things have changed. Uh, I think they've changed drastically in the last few decades. Um, I mean, the idea of goddess, while it still may be taboo, amongst the ranks of uh, folks like that priest that you just mentioned, um, I I think uh, maybe they're becoming the minority. Uh, I mean, you have so many Christians who look at Mary and Mary Magdalene as goddess. You know, you've got Guadalupe, uh, you've got Kuan Yin, you've got Isis, uh, the Black Madonna. Um, I I just don't think they are going to be able to keep suppressing her. Uh, Just like women, I think goddess is on the rise, and uh, these folks that think she's an abomination are really um, the past, you know. Um, I agree. Your thoughts, Jeanette, because I – because you're you're more in the middle, in the thick of it than I am. You you know you still are in these circles. Um, tell us you know what uh, what you encounter. Right. But I, I I I think what you do. In fact, when he did that, I I attributed it to the fact that he is from Ireland because around here, even the most right wing Catholics might feel a little. It's silly using that word abomination anymore. I think that they at least are familiar with the other point of view. And you know, Karen, in fact, the hullabaloo around our partisanship in political circles actually has made people more aware of the need to understand the opposite position on issues. I think it's actually, in a in a strange way, it's having a perverse effect, a perverse in a good way. It's having the opposite effect of making people realize how much we have to listen to the other side. Well, anyway, I would like to dig in to some of my information, and the first yep. thing I, the first little fact I'd like to talk about is Adam, which I learned from. Um, I'm I'm really not a first-year researcher. The only thing that I consider myself doing is to be the bridge between researchers and scholars and ordinary people because I'm I'm more an ordinary person than a researcher. But anyway, from reading Phyllis Tribble's book, God and the Rhetoric of Sexuality, that is wonderful, but it does require focus and concentration. But I learned from her 
that Adam has been mistranslated. The second creation, there are two creation myths in Genesis 1 and 2. And in the second one, the myth says that God created in what in our Bibles is translated as man and then animals. In the first story, God creates first the animals and then humans. And in the second one, God creates what is translated as man and then animals. And then in chapter 3, then a woman out of man's rib. And from that comes the story of the tree and the serpent. Yeah, and it's used to blame women for evil. But she explains over the centuries, this misogynist reading has acquired a status of canonicity so that those who deplore and those who applaud the story about the tree and the serpent and all that both agree upon its meaning, but they agree erroneously. They agree mistakenly that the myth depicts woman as inferior, subordinate, and the greater sinner. Because she says the word Adam means earth creature. It does not mean a masculine individual male person, male human being. It means, yeah, (laughs) it changes everything, doesn't it? Adam is um, earth creature. And then after that, God creates... Well, wait a minute. Wait, 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 Jeanette. Keith, take yeah. a breath. Um, okay. Let me let me let me let me ask you about that. So you're saying a dom, which um, is is where we get Adam from Adam and Eve. Yeah, Adam. E- well, um, it, we can so, pronounce it Adam. Yeah, A D A M. Okay, so uh, Adam. Adam. Okay. But yeah, but I just wanted to make the connection between Adam and you know the Adam as in Adam and Eve, and um, so you're saying when they talked about Adam, they weren't talking about a man; they were talking about an earth creature. So really, they right. were saying in in the scriptures um, any earth creatures that were being created. So there wasn't really a distinction between gender, right? Well, okay, and then after that, God creates, God tells it to care for the earth, and then God creates gender, female and male, Isa and Eth. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have the exact verses anymore, because uh, there was so much information I wanted to deposit today that I, but she has such a, uh, well, no, they use the word glanular, you know, detailed, step-by-step explanation. And so I will just send listeners to God in the rhetoric of sexuality. But first, it's earth creature, and then gender. Gender comes after simply creating human beings or earth creatures or, you know, creatures on this planet is how I think of it, too. The earth has these certain... Um, human beings, and then first that in general, and then gender, Isa and East. So they received so the point, equal state so the point, in the original. Yeah. All right. So the point is, uh, so the point is, um, there. Uh, it, it, it's it's almost as if they had an agenda to interpret. I mean, do you think? I mean, I don't know. Maybe no one can I, answer this, but do you 
do you think they always had an agenda to put man above woman to have you know to to make male uh, the superior gender or was it simply a mistranslation good question karen there are four and this again is so technical and i can't go into it and i can't remember anymore but there are various layers in the scriptures there are many many books you know in the old testament just in the old testament there are many books and the first um the first form of these documents in the bible were oral they were just stories people were telling think about the ancient primitive people they were stories and then at some point they were committed to writing and in the after they were first committed to writing there were many many rewritings and the final redaction of the old testament stories was done by a group called the the um researchers call it the priestly group the priestly group were definitely patriarchal they changed things as much as they dared to turn it into the patriarchal interpretation. So yes, yes, there is definitely an agenda on the part of of many of the people who had a hand in producing these scriptures that finally have come down to us. There, they have been. Well, I want to give some more examples in 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 other things that I'm saying. For instance, uh, my my next the next topic I'd like to talk about is El Shaddai. She was brought from Ur, the land that Abraham first lived in. That's in uh, the Tigris and Euphrates area. Today, Iraq. And um, Abraham travels from there to Canaan or Palestine. It's Palestine today. Um, the the what he called God was El Shaddai, which literally means. God the Breasted One, it is mistranslated in our Bibles as the Almighty, which gives it a masculine cast that makes it sound like El Shaddai is a masculine. The name El Shaddai appears in very few Bibles. It does not appear in my Catholic Bible. It's called the New American Bible. It doesn't, you don't even see El Shaddai, but it Shadu meant mountain and shad i'm told i'm i read is a perfectly normal hebrew word meaning breast and l is a word always used for god and um elohim so, is plural so, god so, so el shaddai is right. god the breasted one yes you want to so say something then if so yeah, so then, uh, so if it's God the breasted one, then it's a natural uh, assumption that they're talking about a female deity. Exactly. Yes, she was the goddess. So the first um, image that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worked with for God was the goddess El Shaddai. She appears 48 times in the Hebrew Bible, but as I said, is mistranslated as the Almighty. And the context in which she appears makes it clear that 
the researchers who tell us it's God the Blessed One are correct because, for instance, in uh, she appears six times in Genesis. When I should say this, that um, she established the covenant with Abraham and his progeny. You know, that's a big deal in in the Judeo-Christian tradition. We talk about the covenant. That is told about in Genesis 17. And the word there should be, in our translation, should be El Shaddai. And it's spoken of as the Almighty. And um, let's see, I'm looking for, oh, it's Exodus 6, verses 2 to 3. Exodus 6, 2 to 3. We are told that Abraham and Sarah brought Shaddai with them to Canaan from Sumaria. So um, I would like to give another example. In Genesis 49, she brings blessings of breasts, Shaddaim, and womb, Rehem, and then blessings of the everlasting mountains and delights of the eternal hills. I've heard you uh, say that the goddess, of course, is associated much more with nature than the god up in the sky, the masculine god image. But the feminine God image is associated with nature. So there are all there are these verses that in, and um El Shaddai is consistently the divinity in the book of Job. So you wanted to so, say something before uh, so I go on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So again, here we see she's obviously there, just like we're going to see later, you know, in uh, the, you know, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, was was originally, uh, but we'll get there later. So, I mean, um, it, it seems like these guys, you know, it's almost like we see what's going on in the world today. You know, they have to bend themselves into a pretzel to create the narrative they want to create and expect that other people are just going to take them at their word and not do any research or reading on their own to see that, um, you know, they've been, I'm sorry, but duping people from the very beginning. Well, I have to agree. I, I, I really, you know, I'm thinking now about our language, but I agree with you, Karen. It it's, it really was, there, there was an agenda, and it was done deliberately. Patriarchy moved in. To some extent, it was not done intentionally because the whole cultures changed. Oh, that's, now I'm getting into another story. There, there was, um, you probably have spoken about prehistoric times when, when the divinity was mostly goddess was mostly uh, feminine god images, and people, societies behaved quite differently. Okay, so patriarchy came in with um, horses. Well, no, I have to stay stay away from that. We're talking about goddess in the Bible now. The next thing I would like to talk about is Yahweh, and it's written in the Hebrew Bible, Y-H-W-H, because the ancient Hebrews, it was written without vowels. Ancient Hebrew was written without vowels. It was just consonants. And people actually are not entirely sure how it's pronounced, but 
um, people have settled on Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and it's called the Tetragrammaton, which in Greek means four letters. So Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And because Jews, the ancient Hebrews, were told, they, they had a fear of saying the name of God aloud. This was um, a, a bad thing to do. It was, there was this irrational fear that thou must not say aloud the name of God. So uh, researchers are pretty sure, even though they don't know the exact meaning of Yahweh, it's something like beingness. And it was first told in Exodus 3.17, I am, 3.14. Exodus 3.14, I am who am, when Moses went up to the mountain and asked God to say, what is your name? And God said, I am who am. And that's the verb to be in Hebrew is hava. hava. And so that's where Yahweh comes from. But because people didn't know, didn't want to say the name of God, this is the thing, Karen. They were told to, to address God as Lord. Adonai, meaning Lord. You see, here it comes in. It was done in a patriarchal way. They were told to address so God what, as a masculine deity. So what you're saying is, um, because I, I want to try to bring it back to, you know, you have so much information in your head, it, it, you're connecting the dots in your head, but I want to try to maybe connect the dots for mm-hmm. some of the listeners. So Yahweh, the, the uh, Y-H-W-H, um, it was genderless, but it was the priestly it was gen- class. Uh, yeah. that, so exactly, the, the, the I'm so glad you... Class because yeah, so let me finish the sentence. So the, the so because the people were not speaking the name of of, uh, of deity, um, but when they referred to uh, pronouns or when they said a, said a word that they could say because they didn't want to say Yahweh, they they took it in the male gender direction. That's exactly right. It was ungendered, non-gendered in the beginning, and then telling people to say Lord gendered it. And then in Indo-European languages, other than English, many of our listeners will know this, nouns have genders. French has a feminine moon. German has a masculine moon. So all the pronouns referring to that noun will indicate a gender. So every Hebrew-speaking individual from early childhood was imbued with the idea that Yahweh was a masculine deity. And then, of course, that was adopted by Christians. And Christianity, if anything, was almost more patriarchal than the Jews had been, the Jews from the Old Testament, which we'll find out when we, as we go on. Um, should I, can I go on to the next uh, subject yeah. I want to talk about? Okay, Asherah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about Asherah, which I, I, you know, Karen and a lot of our listeners know about. It's the common, most common name for her in the Bible. Two more are, are Astarte and Anath. I didn't find Anath in my Bible, but that's okay. I learned about Asherah, the most I learned came from Raphael Patai in The Hebrew Goddess. 
he scrutinized Bible verses and shows that people chosen by Yahweh worship the Canaanite deities, Asherah and her consort Baal, with scriptural evidence meticulously presented. Patai concluded that for, well, first of all, we need to say that Solomon's temple stood in Jerusalem for um, 400 some years. And for almost two thirds of that time, the statue of Asherah was present in the temple, and her worship was led by the king, the court, and the priesthood. And at relatively long intervals, Yahweh's prophets, the Lord's prophets, cried out against it. But the people insisted on worshiping Asherah, and I would like to read um, from Jeremiah 44. The priests and prophets thundered against Yahweh, of, of Yahweh, thundered against these worshipers of the goddess. And this is how the people responded in Jeremiah 44. We will not listen to what you say in the name of the Lord. Rather, will we continue doing what we had proposed. We will burn incest to the queen of heaven and pour out libations to her as we and our fathers, our kings and princes have done in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Then we had enough food to eat, and we were well off. We suffered no misfortune. But since we stopped burning incest to the queen of heaven and pouring out libations to her, we are in need of everything and are being destroyed by the sword and by hunger. Isn't that just a beautiful... Wow. <laughs> well, and, love... and it, 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 you could, it, it could be somebody speaking about the conditions today as well. You realize that? I know. I did. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, and exactly. remember, too, um, I mean, the women were baking cakes for the Queen of Heaven, and um, mm-hmm. I remember, uh, and, and, you know, this sort of yeah. parallel to that story, and the men were trying to say the misfortunes that had, fo- had befallen them was because the women were baking the cakes to the Queen of Heaven. And, yes, um, in fact, and, I you know, like, in, in, Oh, yeah, I'd like to read another passage, and this also is from Jeremiah, and it occurs in more than one place in Jeremiah. Do you not see what they... This is now a priest speaking. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, their fathers light the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the Queen of Heaven, while libations are poured out to strange gods to provoke me to anger. Yeah. So (laughs) there was this back and forth... And it shows the ugliness of male bias in Christian and I I would say less of Jewish teachings today. I think um, I get the impression that Judaism has come a greater distance than Christian teaching. Asphodel Long writes about this too, and she stresses that these were Hebrews, these were the ancient Jews who were pouring out libations for the Queen of Heaven and baking cakes for the Queen of Heaven. And I associate baking cakes with Holy Communion, as Christians have. 
in fact, um, so many of the ancient religions had something that corresponds to communion and um, the wine. Um, I wasn't planning on that, saying that for this session, but um, there was a religion of, um, in honor of uh, the mother-daughter religion, um, Demeter and Persephone, and their big meal was um, had something that corresponds to wine that um, researchers today, scientists think that it was ergot, which creates hallucinations. Um, so that was um, like, you know, like our wine for communion. Um, the Lord orders its campaign against Asherah. Uh, uh, my sound sounds different. Are you still there, Karen? Karen? Oh, dear. Hello? Hi, um, I'm sorry for that. We had a signal drop, and um, I, I believe, uh, I'm sorry for the signal drop. I think uh, Jeanette has called back in as well. Uh, let me reconnect her, and my apologies. I don't know how that happened. Just a second. Um, Jeanette, you still there with I'm, us? Here I am. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, hear me. I don't, I don't, I don't. Um, well, you know, I think uh, I think they probably heard you, but my signal dropped out for some reason. Oh. Um, but just in case, let let's go back. Um, you know, let's go back to where we were before we had that little snafu. Um, hmm. I, you know, you were talking. We were still on the topic of Asherah. Um, and um, I'm not sh I, I, I'm not sure exactly where you were going with it. Uh, you mentioned where she appeared in the, uh, you know, in in the Bible, and obviously evidence of her popularity. I mean, the way the women were baking cakes. Um, did you talk about how the translations buried the evidence for her? Well, okay, that's the next thing I'll say. Then um, it's hard to find references to her because unless you know that most often they re she is referred to by her symbol which is correctly called asherim but in my bible most often it's called sacred pole and this is what the um the well I'll I'll read something from Deuteronomy the Lord orders a campaign against Asherah and her consort Baal and she is talked about as the sacred pillars. There was a Asherim, her symbol was a carved wooden image standing for the tree of life. And trees represent nature. And these Asherim would stand in, in nature. As we said, she's always associated with nature. And this is what the priests were thundering the 
through because the Lord destroyed the, um gave them these directions. The Lord orders this campaign. He says, destroy without fail every place on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every leafy tree where the nations you are to dispossess worship their gods. Tear down their altars. Smash their sacred pillars. That's the Asherim. Destroy by fire their sacred poles. You see, the Asherim. And shatter the idols of their gods that you may stamp out the remembrance of them. If we, when we on the news hear talk about anything like that happening today, we are horrified. And that shows that humanity has made some strides. I think that we have gained intolerance because nobody in the world believe well nobody that's that's a, we can't say nobody but um it's an indication of how far things have come so that's one thing i wanted to say and um okay well, well oh, you well, wanted well, to say you oh, wanted yeah, to what? talk about Asher, Asherah was also the consort of Yahweh. Yahweh and his Asherah appears in, in archaeological finds. Well, so yeah, she, and, and it's, it, it's, it's interesting that um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's difficult. Uh, it, I mean, it's like this has all just been sort of swept away, you know, um and uh and 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 I think you know in in a way that's like you know one of the ultimate sins if you will I mean if you if if one really wanted to be truthful and not have bias um then it, I mean this goes without saying obviously but it just uh the hypocrisy um, which we still see so much today in religion. You know, the hypocrisy was alive and well then. Um, also, this idea of Asherah being a pillar or a tree. Um, Artemis. Artemis was another goddess who started out as a tree, and then her image evolved. You know, over time into the the image that we, you know, that we see later. So. Um, you know, so I was thinking about that too when you were talking about uh, Asherah being the pillar. Um, but you know, it, we have these references to God's wife. In fact, uh, Lynn uh, Picknett and Clive Prince are going to be on the show in a few weeks. They have a new book out on, um, you know, when God had a wife. I think that's the title or something like that. Um, it, but it, I, I mean, to us in the circles we move in, I mean, this is just common knowledge it is the reality uh but it it disturbs me that so many people can go through life never knowing about any of this that's what disturbs me too the ignorance disturbs me i have a difficult time accepting ignorance i have to accept it in life that's the way it is but it, it's it's hard um if people knew if only people knew these things, there would be more understanding all the way around, and we would be kinder to each other. Um, maybe I'll go on with, the, with... I want to say some more about Phyllis Tribble and her information from God is, and the rhetoric of sexuality. I, When she says 
what she says, I, I think, really? I mean, to this day, I have difficulty understanding that God, the feminine image of God really is present in the Bible throughout in, in almost every verse. If we consider the fact that the Hebrew language has godness and the feminine godness in talking about the womb and all the fruits of labor, which refers to so many verses in the Bible, only they are attributed to the masculine deity. Um, she says that the Hebrew word for womb, Raham, I already mentioned in, it in um, reference to uh, Genesis earlier, it's metaphorically and grammatically linked to the Hebrew word for compassion or mercy. Now, how often do we read about compassion and mercy in the Old Testament? And every time they well, we, are spoken of, it's it's a feminine well, we image because, of God. I mean, God God is a, a goddess. A, you know, God, um, the God of the Bible, is a jealous and vengeful God. I mean, and you can see it in the way he destroys the uh, presence of his wife. It's like he's jealous of his other half, <laughs> you know, in, I know. in a manner and, speaking. And that masculine deity, that masculine God image, actually orders genocide in some places. So there's a, a dichotomy. The image is always referred to as he, him, his. It's always the Lord, he, him, is, his. And sometimes that Lord speaks as a mother, and sometimes that Lord is this ugly, tyrannical father who, uh, you know, advocates the sword and beating other people and, and dispossessing the Canaanites of their property and, and, you know, tearing down their sacred altars. It's a, it's a very odd kind of... Um, presentation if we think about it but in our readings I've, i what we hear about in our mass for instance in the liturgy and i'm sure this is true in protestant churches too it's the more it's the compassionate god and you know they they it's like they're covering up the real facts it's like covering up clergy sex abuse it's not letting people know what really exists in their scriptures. Phyllis Tribble says that the entire process of birthing has been attributed to the deity, and that it has to be a feminine deity. In various passages, writes Phyllis Tribble, God conceives, is pregnant, writhes in labor pains, brings forth a child, and nurses it. And the odd thing also is that God, some of these things, as I said, are, are attributed to a male deity. Oh, let's see. No, I, I, I won't take the time to find that. But um, in several places, yes, I did find it. Oh, that you may suck fully of the milk of his comfort, that you may nurse with delight. <laughs> at her abundant birth. You know, it goes back and forth between him and his. And it all wow. depends on how um, the Bible is translated. You want to so say So hang something? on a second. I want to... I 
Yeah, I want to I want to say something about that. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you a question, and uh, and I and I don't know if you can answer it, but. And again, I keep drawing parallels to what's going on right now, you know, how we, you know, how so many people want to bury their head in the sand. And, 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 and all right, forgive me, I'm just, I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm not going to be cryptic. You know, you see the Republicans right now who, um, if they pay any attention at all, they know Trump is guilty uh, and, and deserves to be impeached. But because they want to stay in power, because – you know they want to you know get these uh, you know right wing judges appointed and you know all the other things that he's doing for the evangelicals. They tolerate the immorality. It feels like back then, could it have been Jeanette that they tolerated this this um, this violent, vengeful, jealous God? Could it be it was about the men in power back then, just like it's about the men in power today uh, in, in the Republican Party? Or am I just, you know, grasping at straws that really aren't connected? I mean, how could they follow a God that, you know, that, that was his personality? I mean, he was a sociopath. He was, um, you know, I mean, who would want that for a God? You're asking a question that I've asked myself many times, and I would say any scholar would say we simply don't know, and many of them probably have asked the same question. It's not something we can answer, but I think it's a legitimate question. Yes, that has to enter into, we have to ask how deliberate, how intentional was it? And of course power is a focal point in this. Of course it has to do with wanting to retain power. How much that was conscious rather than unconscious, I think that's the question. Did they know what they were doing? And mostly I would say they did not know. I would say few of them actually faced this and said to themselves, well, I have to do this so that we can stay in power. I think it was unconscious, but there's no way that this could be happening without the um, the dynamic of power underneath it all. Um, right. To well, listen, on, listen yeah. we're going to have to take a break. Wait, wait, we have to take a break. Okay. Um, but listen, I, and I do want to say, uh, you know, because I, you know, got a little freaked out when we, you know, when I lost my signal before, if anything like that happens again, we'll just do what we just did. I will call back in. Uh, you just keep talking if it seems like I've disappeared because uh, listeners, I think, could still hear you. Um, you know, just go ahead on to the next uh, point you wanted to make if by any chance I lose my signal. Uh, but, uh, you know, what I need to do next here, uh, especially for those listeners who feel called by the fairy faith, uh, I would invite them to listen closely. Uh, this will be about Joe Carson's book, uh, Celebrate Wildness. And here we go. Celebrate Wildness has practical instructions on how to make your own fairy ring hinge, how to magically restore any place to its original wild harmony, how to feel the shapes of the earth as if they really are a part of your own body, and even how to initiate yourself into the Ferraferia path. From early Ferraferia member, John Beggs. What a beautiful, inspired, and inspiring book this is. 
The text is a delight, augmenting, interpreting, and celebrating the drawings as a singer sometimes adds another dimension of understanding to a musical composition. It has the glow, glory, and joy of a masterpiece. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper. It is written by filmmaker Joe Carson, who made the film Dancing with Gaia. You can get it for $45 from the Ferraferia website at ferraferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So just to clarify, Joe Carson's magical book titled Celebrate Wildness is available only at ferraferia.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And um, if by some chance you just tuned in, I am speaking with uh, scholar and author Jeanette Blonigan-Clancy about all the many ways the goddess uh, is still in the Bible, but um, we don't recognize her by some of these names or some of these terms. Uh, And Jeanette was just talking about how uh, what we end up having in the uh, the Bible is the male god... um, with a womb or the male god suckling as if uh, he were a female, which Jeanette reminds me of what the uh, what happens in Greece, where Zeus ends up taking on the attributes of a female, where he births Athena from his head. Uh, exactly. You know, this, this jealousy, you know, this male jealousy of the female. Uh, maybe uh, form, reproductive uh, abilities, whatever it is. Um, I mean, it's kind of long history. Womb envy instead of penis envy. Freud talked about penis envy, and uh, women have pointed out that it's really womb envy. The attribution to father, what naturally refers to mother, became a pattern in the Abrahamic religions because um, female... Feminine images, we can tell that they are originally in the ancient Hebrew, and they were mistranslated. I would like to give a, just a few more examples of that and then go on. In, um, Gen- in Deuteronomy 32, the goddess really is, is fully presented there. Here's how verse 11 is translated in my Catholic Bible. As an eagle incites its nestlings forth by hovering over its brood, so he spread his wings to receive them and bore them up on his pinions. Now this this next translation comes from the King James Version, which surprised me. The same verse now. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. It's an entirely different atmosphere when we have the feminine doing these things. And, of course, it's a mother eagle who is referred to. Now, I want to give you another example. In verse 18, this is still Deuteronomy 32, which has a lot of feminine imagery. Uh, Verse 18 is, you forgot the God who gave you birth. That's from my Catholic Bible. Phyllis Tribble translates as, um, this is now using, going back to what, to the etymological meaning of, the, in the Hebrew. 
You forgot the God who gave you birth. You forgot the God who writhed in labor pains with you. That's what she says is the meaning of the original ancient Hebrew. Rise in labor pains. I love that. Wow. Um, Jeremiah 31 says, yeah, my heart stirs for him. I will surely have mercy on him. And uh, Phyllis Tribble translates it. My womb trembles for him. I will show motherly compassion upon upon him. Isn't that lovely? Wow. Um, it is. And, um, and, and Jeanette, I want to tell you, I am having some more uh, issues here because the snow has started falling heavier. Um, I washed... I lost you for a minute, uh, but I want to just, I'm going to switch phones and see if that helps. Uh, But we're going to just keep going here, okay, Uh, because I have a lot more to say. And, yeah, and this is is really interesting stuff. So uh, why don't you go ahead, uh, why don't you go ahead on to your next point and, um, and, and, you know, and, and I will be here in the background, okay? All right, thank you. Yeah, I do want to speak about the next feminine God image, and it is Sophia, which is the Greek word for wisdom. Sophia is the most prominent feminine female God image, the most prominent feminine God image in in the Bible. Um, the, The most prominent male God image in the Bible is Jesus. That's just a, a God image. Jesus is a God image, and Christians are told to worship Jesus as God. Sophia, Sophia was, an, in fact, a prototype for Christ in the fourth gospel. I call it the fourth gospel because um, I don't want to say the gospel of John. John is, uh, people call it the gospel of John because they assume that John was the beloved disciple in the fourth gospel and um in another blog post i've written a lot about mary magdalene really being that beloved disciple that's another topic we should talk about sometime but anyway going back to sophia she is a personification of god as jesus is personification is simply meaning saying something that is not human, speaking of it as if it were human. For instance, if we say the stars danced, then we're personifying the stars. If we're saying the wind howled, we personify the wind. If we say God told me something, I personify God. Personifications are simply human images for something we don't know. Um, We can't possibly define God. We We can't understand God. God is ineffable, This what, what we call God. We call it God, and, and we, well, we could, should call it goddess. On this show, we should call it goddess. But we, ha- we naturally think of a human image, and these are personifications. So as I said, Sophia is a prototype for Christ, and this is accepted scholarship research done by Catholic researchers. Here are the parallels between female and male God images, between Sophia and Christ in the fourth gospel. Both speak in long discourses in first person, and they speak poetically. Sophia does this. Jesus Christ does it in the fourth gospel. 
both reveal God and give instruction on what God pleases God. Both walk the streets crying out their message and offering their gifts. And I'll give a, an example later on. Both are rejected. And I'll give an example. Both lead people to life and immortality. And both refer to followers, to their followers as children. And, and they use metaphors of food and water. Um, okay, some examples now. And I'll talk about the fourth gospel now as John, because, you know, that's how you find it in, in your Bibles. John 1, 2, the very beginning of that fourth gospel says, The Word was present to God from the beginning. And Proverbs, Proverbs is one of the books. Um, I should say first that Sophia is spoken of in, oh, at least four books of the Old Testament. Proverbs 8.24 states, When there were no depths, I was brought forth. John 10 says, I came that they might have life. Proverbs 8 says, the one who finds me finds life. The Gospel of John says, one who feeds on me will have life because of me. And in Baruch, wisdom, or Sophia, says, all who, no, this is about Sophia, all who cling to her will live, but those will die who forsake her. Both speaking of giving life. Okay, and this is about wow. who believes in them. Yeah, in John, whoever believes in him may not die, but may have eternal life. In Baruch, we read, all to cling, who cling to her will live, but those will die who forsake her. And Proverbs 3 says, she is a tree of life to those who grasp her. Now, doesn't that also give us another look at the tree of life, um, the Garden in the Eden story? Uh, I know, two more, some more examples. Okay, John says, him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ, and wisdom is sent, send her forth from your holy heavens. So both have been sent by God. Um, I said, oh, I know. I said that I was going to give an example of rejection. John 1, verse 11 says, To his own he came, yet his own did not accept him. And in Proverbs we read, I called and you chose not to listen. I beckoned and you ignored me. Okay, I'd better stop giving examples, but there are many more that could be said showing that wisdom was a prototype. You know, those books occurred first, of course, and then New Testament writers often followed patterns established in the Old Testament. That needs to be said. The the writers of the new scriptures were paying attention to the old scriptures that they had. For, for the persons who wrote the books that came to be called the New Testament, the only scriptures they realized that they recognized, that they accepted as scripture, were the books of the Old Testament. They didn't think of their own writings as scripture, of course. So that's a thing to keep in mind, too. And they were copying much of the Old Testament, or referring to it, misinterpreting it, interpreting it. Are you still there, Karen? 
otherwise, I would like to talk about um, a story that comes to me from working at the School of Theology. And I'll, I'll just go on, and then I'll finally, I hope she comes in one, during some of this. Um, if you're still listening to me, I'd like to tell you about something that happened to me at the School of Theology when I was studying. This was in the 1980s. I was researching a paper for Trinity class and came upon a pleasant surprise. I found an article in the Bible Translator by Rodney Venberg, a Bible translator for people in southwestern Chad, which is in Africa. The title of the article says a lot. The title says, The Problem of a Female Deity in Translation. Translating the Bible for them was hard because the Bible's male God language clashed with the people of Chad's idea of great spirit, and it clashed with their language. Their language did not want to accept God as a male deity. Their word for great spirit was Ephraim, which is related to their word for mother. So whenever they talked about the creator, she was female. She was the great mother. It seemed obvious to them. And Venberg, the translator, got it. He wrote, to speak of God, Ephraim, with such terms as he and father was totally inconsistent with their grammar and went against their whole notion of the creation. After all, had a man ever given birth to a child? And this was a male translator. He understood. He got it. So I think he could have simply changed the pronouns in the Bible and taken out taken out the word Lord. For instance, in Genesis 1.31, he, he could have written, God looked at everything she had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, I wonder if Karen is still there. It's 1 o'clock here. I mean, it's 2 o'clock here. I'm in Minnesota. And so we are two hours ahead of the uh, Pacific Coast. Um, I think that we are probably finished. This has been a strange hour for me, if you are still listening to me. This is Jeanette Blonigan-Clancy, hoping that Karen Tate is listening somewhere. We were cut off. She lost connection with me. Um, I'll say goodbye. Uh, Well, first I'll say Mary is our modern goddess. Many of the listeners here probably know that. Goodbye, and I will communicate with Karen by email or phone some other time. Goodbye. Goodbye.